Welcome to the Inspired Women Podcast. I am your host, Megan Hall, academic, spouse, mom, and advocate for change. On this podcast, I hold space for women and non-binary individuals to share their stories. Warning, sometimes we chat about taboo topics and drop some F-bombs. Thank you for being here today and enjoy the episode. Hey, everyone. Today, I'm here with Jenna, Jenna Griffith, purpose and prosperity expert, is renowned certified compassion coach, founder of the Service and Soul Group, and accomplished author. As a former military spouse and current first responder wife, Jenna empowers other military and first responder spouses to find their purpose and embrace their individual skills and passions while still serving along their spouse. So Jenna, thank you so much for coming on the podcast today. Thank you. Thank you for having me. I would love for you to kick it off. We've had quite a few military related people on the podcast. Uh, I have like a whole category. So we've had enough. We've had veterans. We've had spouses. We've had spouses that are veterans that were spouses. It's just, we've had a lot. Um, I'd love for you to kick it off about Um, what your experiences was like being a military spouse, and then maybe eventually we'll get to how that's kind of related to being a first responder spouse. Um, But yeah, everybody's story is unique. So your experience would not be the same as somebody else's experience. And I think that's why it's important for us to share them. Yeah, absolutely. I definitely agree. They're all different. And everyone processes that position, if you will, a lot differently. So for me, it was really, I was very young. So I was mm-hmm. barely 21. I mean, I know that's super common in the military. <laughs> you get married young, you start having your kids because they pay you to basically. So yeah. Uh, <laughs> so it was not something I knew what I was getting myself into. Like over the course of 10 years, you know, I had so many people say to me, well, but you signed up for this or oh my God, I hate what that. you're getting into. I hate that. It makes me so angry because I'm like, <laughs> no, um, I signed up to be in love. I signed yeah. up to have a marriage. I didn't sign up to be this pitiful person left behind while, you know, trying to juggle all the things. And so, yeah, <clears throat> it would make me really angry too. But that being said, I didn't know what I was getting into. I don't think anyone knows, like you can, Mm. you can know what the military is. Your soon to be husband can tell you all the things, but you don't know until you're actually in it. Mm -hmm. So when I got married, my husband was in the big army, if you will. And, (laughs) (laughs) and, um, he, he ended up going into a special operations community that happened a little after a year after we were married. So within one year, we were at three different duty stations Wow! because we started at, you know, Fort Carson while he was in the big army. And then when he got accepted to the special operations community, we got stationed at Fort Bragg very briefly while he went through a school and then ended up at Fort Campbell for a long time, which I was excited about because I'm from the Nashville area and was excited to be close to family, but Mm -hmm. what happened in those 10 years, just to give you a quick cliff notes story is, you know, three duty stations the loss of a child, 
the mm-hmm. birth of a micro preemie who had surgery after surgery, had 22 surgeries in his first year wow. of life. And we finally got him stable. And then my husband's helicopter had a hard landing in Afghanistan. TBI from that turns into drug addiction and a lot of uh, stress around that. And then we ended up in divorce, unfortunately. Oh, wow. So yeah. Yeah. <laughs> That's my, in a nutshell, a uh, story of my experience as a military spouse, but it was very scary when he was special operations, he was gone a lot more. We did have several deployments of I, I'm leaving in the middle of the night, don't know where I'm going. And we ended up creating this code to be able to say, you know, how many days until he was going to get home or yeah, you know, what, what date I could be looking for him. That was definitely stressful. And then I, I ended up dissolving into the role of a military spouse, but I'm not, I never was the type of spouse that that was enough for me. I always Mm. wanted something for myself. And so I ended up unknowingly growing this resentment around his job, around Mm -hmm. his schedule and feeling like I had been putting my life on pause. And I think that resentment building up mixed with trauma, mixed with addiction, it just got to be too much and it ended up ending our marriage. So yeah, it's, it can be a lot. It is a lot. I can't even say it can be a lot. I, I don't know how anybody who was ever a military spouse can be like, this is easy breezy and no big deal. I'm like, what job did your spouse have? Because yeah. it's definitely not one where you're going, you're dealing with deployments. I, I am familiar with people um, creating like little ways to tell, like some, I knew somebody who they used books. So mm. it was like, you should check out this section of this, not saying the page number, but saying you should check out this section of this book. I found it really interesting or whatever. And so the person could like go to that page and I gave like a clue. I'm like, wow, you all like complicated it really big. I didn't get that quite complicated. I didn't quite get that complicated, but we would do things like, oh, six days after the day Zachary was born, there should be a special package or or something like that. It would be little yeah. things like that. <laughs> yeah. It, I mean, some people really go to town. Um, when my spouse was in, he created this book for me and he wrote little notes because this was a pretty, uh, he was on submarine. So I understand the, you don't know when they're coming back and where they are and what's going on. And he created this little book for me with all these cute little like notes and stuff. And uh, he had like different like page numbers and stuff like that. And so that gave me a hint of like, he'd be like, well, turn here and read this that I wrote for you. And it would be something that gave me a clue of like, oh, okay. Like, and it's not like a normal book, like other people were doing. This is one he wrote himself. So nobody would know except me what it says. Yeah. I love that. You have to get creative though, because they, they are very careful about reintegrating back into mm-hmm. the United States. And so it was super, definitely an interesting time in my life that I don't think anyone could have prepared me for. I'm sure I could have talked to plenty of people, but you just, like I said, you just don't know. You don't know what you're signing up for. So stop yeah. telling military wise, <laughs> they knew what they were signing up for. This is your PSA. Stop saying that. Yeah. I, I mean, like um, 
My spouse's dad was in the Navy and his mom tried to prepare me the best she could, but you're only hearing these things. And until you're in it, you don't know what the emotions are. You don't know what the the experience will be. Her experience was different than my experience because he was on like surface ships and my spouse was on submarines. And so like, it was completely different worlds. So there, there is no way for somebody to prepare you. You don't know, even if your spouse has been in for a while, mine was. And so when we got married and so even he was trying to prepare me, but there's nothing like actually being in it. Yep. I totally agree. So what was it like for you being in a relationship with somebody who's a drug addict? We have discussed this on the, um, on the, podcast at length many times with children, spouses. Oh, you've had people on who themselves have struggled with addiction. Um, and I, I'm, I don't know if you said drug addiction or not, or if you just said addiction. Yeah. Um, so what was that experience like for you? I'll be honest. It was a really sad experience because when we got married, he was just full of life he was hopeful, determined, happy, like genuinely happy. And he actually joined the military to clean up because he was struggling with addiction as a teenager. And the first five years of our marriage, I'm going to say pre-incident were really great. Even though we were going Mm -hmm. through trauma of losing a child, all the moves, having a micro preemie, we were still a united front, the two of Mm -hmm. us. After his accident, it completely, everything completely changed. And it really is a sad story when people ask me about, you know, what happened with your divorce? I'm just like, honestly, it's a sad story because Mm -hmm. the man that I see now today is so completely different than the man that I married before. And not because I have this bitterness towards him. It's because Mm -hmm. I see what was lost overall. When he was in the accident, he had a traumatic brain injury, ended up having to be in a TBI facility in Nebraska for almost 60 days. And the problem with a brain injury is you cannot physically see the injury. So everything Mm -hmm. that he was experiencing, all the pain that he was experiencing, no one else could see. So Mm -hmm. the doctors would just keep giving him pill after pill after pill. And from someone who was, I I don't want to say he was in recovery. Like I said, he joined the military to clean up. But for someone who's already struggled with addiction in the past, that obviously was not a good combination. Mm -hmm. And at that time, we didn't think about that because I wasn't with him in beforehand, you know, when he struggled before. So at the time, it didn't seem like it was a huge threat for us because we were just trying to get him better. And Mm -hmm. we were just focusing on him healing and getting better. Fast forward about six months, he and I are sitting there watching a movie. I couldn't tell you what the movie was. But he just starts to cry and he was like, I have to tell you something. I have been taking pills for months and months. And he 
was just like, I don't want this life. I don't want to live like this. I don't want this to be who I am. And of course I was like, I'm going to, I'm here for you. We're going to fight this together. It's going to be okay. And he showed me all his hiding spots that, you know, he had hit everything and, and he was really uh, focused on not going down that road again. And we were doing celebrate recovery together, just trying all these things. And unfortunately it just didn't work. Um, there was an evening that he was driving my two children, our two children and hit almost every single mailbox coming up the driveway. He was hitting mailboxes. Wow. Doesn't remember it at all. My older son called me when they got home and and was like, dad was hitting the bumpies on the side of the road. It was really scary. So I went home. I was with a girlfriend. I went home. I He was passed out on the couch. I packed him a bag. And the next morning I said, you can take this to a friend's house or you can take it to rehab, but you are not staying here. Hmm. And he went to rehab. He actually, I don't know who he went to in his unit, but he went to some you know, one of his friends in the unit and was like, I need to fix this. I'm going to lose my family. So he went to rehab and got clean and he was completely sober for two years. And then I'm part of this unfortunate relapse. We were on, I think it was our eighth wedding anniversary. We went down to Chattanooga and we were having dinner and he said, I think I might have a glass of wine with you. And I said, are you sure you want to do that? And he was like, well, alcohol wasn't my addiction, so mm -hmm. it's fine. And I selfishly was like, yes, you know, I finally can have like a quote unquote normal dinner with my husband and we can share a bottle of wine and celebrate our anniversary. So I was all about, I didn't even try to talk him out of it. I was, I was gung ho for it. And unfortunately that just tanked this addiction around alcohol and it was a struggle for a long time and he went and saw all sorts of you know counselors psychologists mostly to help with the brain injury type stuff but there were a lot of scary nights during those final two years specifically because we would fight so much mm. and there were times where you could just see darkness. I mean, it was mm -hmm. just, I would look in his eyes and be like that. I don't know what I'm looking at. Yeah. And I would have to call his dad. Luckily his family lived in the same town. So I would call his dad. I would call his brother. I'm like, you need to get over here. We'd have to take the guns out. Cause he would threaten, you know, all sorts mm -hmm. of like things. And I hid that from everybody except for mm -hmm. his dad and his brother. I, I didn't talk to really, and that's not true. I did have, I have my best friend. She's still my best friend. So of course, you know, I would share things with her, but when we got divorced, I had a lot of people who were really shocked and people who were upset with me because I was giving up on him. And, you know, it was my job as his wife to support him. And yeah, it's because I kept it a secret. It's because I, I hid a lot. I protected him a lot from people. And it's just been recent that I've started to really share my part of the story 
because I've been afraid to, you know, I'm still dealing with that piece or that person, you know? Yeah, I can totally relate. Um, My middle daughter's father is also, he's in recovery right now from addiction. And when we were together, he was addicted and we had the same sort of thing. He got sober and then, cause I'm like, I'm going to leave. He got sober. And then it was like, well, I wasn't addicted to this. I can have this. It's fine. And then, cause he was like making his own wine at one point in time. And he's like, it's not a big deal. Like I can have, and then I like, I'm like, sure. Yeah. I would love to like have some wine with you. Nope. It did not work out. Like you were talking about it just spiraled out of control. Um, and the day I left him, he shot off a gun in our house. Like it got really serious. Yeah. It was like threats, threats at first. And then it became like, oh, this actually happened. And that was the day that like, I woke up and I was like, okay, I gotta get out of this. Like it's, I gotta go. Um, but, uh, like you, most people around me had no idea. And when I left him, they called me selfish. They said, I can't believe you're leaving him. You should support him. Like his boss even called me and was like, he really wants, he really loves you. And he wants to be with you. And I'm like, you know how many times I've had to deal with it? Like how many times you've done this go round where he gets sober mm-hmm. and then he's not sober and then he is sober and all of like the abuse, verbal abuse I dealt with. No. So I can, I can really, obviously every uh, journey is unique. So not yeah. same, same, but I can relate to what you went through. Well, what's, what's interesting to me, I shouldn't use the word interesting. What's sad to me is how many people, and it's not just women, right? Mm-hmm. But how many people, especially in the military community go through that. And we don't say anything because there is abuse there. There's most definitely emotional abuse, if not physical. I did not have any physical abuse, but holes punched in walls, you know, tables thrown out windows, cutting, you know, like hurting himself so that I would feel guilty. Mm-hmm. There was a lot of emotional damage that was done. And I still struggle with that, to be honest with you. I still have a hard time co-parenting because I see those same mm-hmm. behaviors. And I'm just like, when is this going to end? I still, and, and actually he, um, my son told me that he has been sober and I'm like, I hope he is, you know, obviously yeah. as the father of my children, I want that for him. I want that for them. And I did get a long semi actually it was an apology but I got this long like I'm changed and you should see the new me and I was like well I would love to see the new and improved you that would be amazing I look forward to that yeah I uh went through something similar where I got this phone call and it was like you know, I'm a different person now. And, you know, I, I, I struggled really hard and, and I can say he's been sober for over 10 years now. So and from what I know, from what I know, but I always fear like, what if he like backslides and my daughter lives with him right now, her choice. Uh, I don't agree with her choice, but whatever. <laughs> She's 14. She, <laughs> um, but like, what if he backslides and then he's, 
acting like that towards our daughter and, and treating her like that. And it's a real worry on your mind when this person you're co-parenting, this person has your child and you're like, what, what if it happens and then you're yeah. not there and, and you don't know what to do and you kind of feel helpless. You totally do. And I really struggled with that after we got divorced because of the decisions that he was making and things that my children were saying to me. And in our state, I had no control over it unless Mm -hmm. my children said, I don't feel safe with my dad. And I'm going to, I've been a little reluctant to bring this up, but let's just go there. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) When you, I didn't know this at the time, I didn't find out or learn until after our divorce that I was dealing with a covert narcissist. Mm. And if you know anything about covert narcissism, you know that they use the victim mindset to get others to feel sorry for them, not speak out towards them and not hold them accountable. And that's exactly what I was dealing with my whole marriage, or at least the last, maybe not the whole marriage, but at least the last several years. And then I watched my children go through that as well. Mm. And it's really, really hard to co-parent or even have a successful communication with a narcissist, yet alone a covert narcissist that people would be like, is he a narcissist? Like you have to know covert narcissism to know if you're dealing with one or not. And that was really hard because my kids would tell me things that were happening, but then they felt bad for like even our youngest now. He'll still cry to me sometimes a bit. Well, I just feel bad for him. I'm like, mm-hmm. yeah, that means it's working. Yeah, no, exactly. Uh, and it's only recently that my daughter has realized like, oh, dad isn't the person that he made it out to be. He told her so many lies and she would come back to me and she'd be like, is this true? And I'm like, no, absolutely not. I've never to her face talked shit about him because like, I don't feel like that's my place to talk shit about him or tell him, right. tell her like about his addiction. But if she comes to me and she tells me some lie he told her, I'm like, no, absolutely not. I'm not going with this story that you know, he's like this victim and all these bad things happen to him. And it's she, he told her like, mom left me because she was like, she didn't like me anymore. And I was like, no, no. <laughs> like, I didn't oh. say the addiction portion, but I was like, nope, that was not it. Well, I, I left him supposedly because I had six different, six affairs with six different men. So, wow. I know. I was like, who are these men? Like, are they at least good looking? Am I going to get anything from this? You know, and that was really hard. I mean, the divorce is hard in general and to divorce, have a divorce and then have like you've experienced too, like all these nasty things said about you. It's really hard to keep that positivity and vision of like, I just got to get through this for me. Mm-hmm. I was like, I, I kept telling myself, cause I was getting attack after attack. I, the thing I kept repeating in my head was God rewards those who are faithful. God rewards those who are faithful. I just thought I've got to stay faithful to what I'm experiencing and I can't lower myself 
because mm-hmm. it's not going to do me any good. That's what yeah. I learned about. And it was through the help of one of my counselors. That's when I learned about covert narcissism. Mm-hmm. I didn't know what that was. And of course, like the B word, everyone just throws it around. They're like, you're such a narcissist. And it's like, sometimes they, sometimes you're just mad at them. Right. So yeah. to actually learn clinically what covert narcissism was, I spent a lot of time in tears because I thought, how did I not see this? How did I not know? You know, there were nights where I would be no joke fetal position in our closet. Cause you know, at the time I thought no one can hear me in here, but my kids heard everything. (laughs) Um, I would be in the fetal position crying, thinking I am the worst human alive. Mm -hmm. Like he would say something to make me feel like wow, I have all, and I would say to him, I'm like, this is so, I'm just, I'm so confused because every, does that mean I'm fake to everyone else? Because everyone else thinks I'm amazing, but the person that's the closest to me is saying all these things about me. So I must be these things. Mm -hmm. And I would be fetal position crying in the closet. And then here he comes, don't cry. You're like, you're amazing. And it's going to be okay. And I'm like, what, what it is, you know, you're just like the whiplash of identity that I took from words that he would say was really hard and painful. And so to have all the attacks afterwards and like you, I, I would sit there when our youngest would be like, I want to live with daddy. I'm like, like, well, we're not living with daddy, but you'll see him this weekend. I mean, I wanted to be like, your piece of crap dad doesn't even, you know, like you just want to spout off, but it's not healthy for the kids, you know? Yeah. I mean, hopefully you will experience what I have where your kids have this awakening and they're like, they see it. And once you see it, you can't unsee it. Yeah, they already do. do. My oldest. So our oldest is 20 and he to my oldest is 20. (laughs) Yeah. And so he's like, "Mm, what in the world? And he sees stuff that we're dealing with right now with his younger brother. And he's now coming in with his younger, like supporting his younger brother to be like, this is not normal. This is not a normal parenting thing that you should be experiencing. And unfortunately, our youngest is also autistic. So things Mm. are different for him. Yeah. And he's so confused and then add on 15 year old hormones and thinking like, but he's, he's supporting me no matter what. And then having us on this side and his brother being like, that's not support. That is manipulation. That's not good. It's just wild. But to your point too, If I was sitting here just trash talking, I'm no better, number one. Mm -hmm. And number two, like everything, actions speak louder than words. I've, I mean, I have always been just pro that. And like I said, so many times after divorce, I wanted to just spout off about their dad. And actually my now 20 year old at the time, he was 14, barely. And he screamed at me one night and he does, he is like the most respectful kid. So I knew he was really in pain. 
And he was like, how can you walk around like everything's okay and everything is so happy when our family's falling apart? And I looked at him and I was just like, it's my job to, I'm, I'm what you've got. Yeah. You know, and I'm not going to sit here. I was like, I'm, I'm devastated. I did not Mm -hmm. plan on being divorced. You know, I was like, I'm devastated, but I also have to get ish done. You, I have you two relying on me and that's important. And fast forward when my now husband and I got married in 2021, that same son gave a speech at our wedding and brought up that night. And he said, and now I know it's because she had faith. And I hope to find that faith. And it set such a good example for me. And of course, we're all just, you know, (laughs) crying. But that was the moment to anyone who's going through this season right now of like divorce or trying to co-parent, just know it will pay off. Your kids will see how you respond, not what you're going to say. And that was a moment for me where I was like, it paid off. It worked. I did it. And, and now with stuff we're going through with our youngest, I'm like, I'm, I'm drawing back on that too, to be like, I know this is going to work if I just stay faithful and let my actions lead the way. Yeah. I, I I think it paid off for me also that I didn't talk shit about um, my middle daughter's father because like I said, she now sees it. And so if I had spent all those years just trash talking him, then she wouldn't trust me right now. Like she wouldn't have that trust she does in me and to come to me and say, Hey, dad said this, or dad did this or dad, whatever. And for me to say, yeah, yeah. I understand because I was there and she would, she's never said, why didn't you tell me? She seems to understand like that was not my place at that time to, you know, say all these things and she really sees it. So hopefully your youngest will see it too. And, and if your oldest saw it, chances are the other one will see it soon. I think he would, I think he already is because he'll, he'll say little things like, you know, this was a couple of years ago, but he got so angry one night and he was like, dad just thinks I'm stupid and tells me he's drinking magic water, but water doesn't smell like that. And water doesn't make people act that way. And so he, he went through this period of where he was coming out of little kid zone and he was really coming into the preteen, but was still being treated like, Oh, he, he's not going to notice that this is actually not water. And he yeah. would get so angry about it. So, which makes me sad too, right? Yeah. Cause then they have to, they see it and you don't want them to see that you oh. want, you want them to be innocent and not have to deal with that. But when you co-parent, there's only, like you said, there's only so much you can do, right? Yeah. Like legally, unless uh, my ex did something to my daughter, she's allowed to live with him. I'm like, but he did things in the past and that doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. Yeah. It just matters what's happening right now. And unless he does something really serious to her, besides like putting her down, he talks about her weight and stuff like that. And she's not, she's 
beautiful. <laughs> I'm her mom. I'm like, she's just beautiful. Um, but unless she comes to me and it's like something really serious, like there's nothing I can do. Like, mm-hmm. in, in, or until she says she wants to move back with me, I just sit on the sidelines helpless going, yep, he's just showing himself to our daughter. I can't imagine So that feels like. <laughs> as, um, since we're getting lower on our time or short on our time, I'd love to pivot a little bit because um, now you're a first responder spouse and how that might be similar to being a military spouse. We've actually had um, someone on, it was a couple years ago that has been both as well. But again, stories aren't the same um, and experiences aren't the same. Everybody's unique. And so I'd love for you to share um, that with us, like how that's similar and what you've learned from that. So it's very similar in the sense of the fear around deployments, the consistency around them, because the organization that he works for, they respond to natural man-made disasters and mm-hmm. they also combat human trafficking. So even when it's not storm wow. season, they're around the world saving children, literally. Um, And so that the energy around it is much different because we're actually seeing what effect his service has Mm -hmm. on the world. Whereas in the military, these guys are coming home with these horrific, traumatic experiences And even if they tell the wives, the wives will never understand. We will never be like, I mean, we could sit there and be like, wow, that must've been awful with Mm -hmm. the first responder. And my experience in this world, I'm seeing the traffickers that are going to jail. I'm seeing the children that are being saved and are going into aftercare. I, I'm able to go with him on these natural disasters, uh, missions like, you know, tornado cleanup or flooding and. I know this is going to air later on, but right now a hurricane is just killing Florida. And he left this morning at 1 a.m. to go respond to that. And that was not on our plan for this week, right? And it's a lot different though, you know, in the military when it's like, oh, I have to go there. Like I said, there was like almost a resentment that was built up on this. Mm -hmm. Whereas with the first responder stuff, when he got a call last night, can you go to Florida? It's like, you have to go, right? You know, there's people that are going to lose everything and some people losing their lives. Like you have to go. It's just a different energy around that. Yeah. I mean, cause we're not in a knock on wood, uh, war, like a war, mm-hmm. um, I put that in quotation marks because there's always like little skirmishes going on everywhere. Um, but because we're not in like a world war or something like that, you don't see, we're not as in the United States, obviously there's a war going on in Ukraine. Uh, we, we don't see, like you said, the, what comes of these deployments, we don't know. And a lot of times they can't share most of the stuff anyways, a lot of it's confidential. So you don't know what they're achieving with their job where when it comes to what your spouse now is doing, you're seeing what they're achieving with the job. It's, it sounds a lot right. different. Right. And also in the military, you, your husband's mistress is the military. The military. 
Yeah. And he can't leave her. Mm-hmm. He can't tell her no. With the first responders, he can, you know, like he literally got a call last night. Are you able to go? Not, Hey, we're pulling out. Don't care what you have on our schedule. We're going, you know, it's a lot different. And it, it feels like I can be more involved in the sense of, I heard him say, well, let me talk to Jenna yeah. and I'll call you back. Couldn't do that in the military. You're not allowed right. to do that in the military. Um, and so it's nice to have a more, uh, or be able to have a conversation around each mission. Now, if I, I have to do my part too, right? I can't mm-hmm. be a supportive spouse and say like, but I wanted you to go to dinner. You know, we had dinner plans tonight, but I yeah. wanted to go to dinner tonight. Like we got to be realistic, you know? And so there are, for example, this Ukraine, his organization has rescued 8,000 people from wow. Ukraine in trafficking and just displaced people getting them out of harm's way. Well, that's, they, this organization spent almost six months in Ukraine. My husband was there a lot and actually was there when my father passed away last year. He was, oh, wow, had cancer. And so that moment totally brought back a lot of emotion of mm-hmm. I'm by myself dealing with the death of my father. And I felt that same resentment that I felt in the military in that moment. So I will, I would say I have had moments where it felt like military and that was definitely a a time where it was really hard to refocus and be like, he's saving people. He's saving people, you know? Right. I can imagine when it's a situation like that, where they've already gone. So they've already said, yes, they're already gone. So with the military, you can't, you obviously can't say no, but like when your spouse now says yes, well, now they're committed, right? He can, he's right. not coming back tonight and be like, just kidding. I don't want to go to Florida. Yeah. <laughs> like once the commitments have been made, so I can see how that resentment might sprout up again, uh, when they're, they're already gone and, and you don't have a choice anymore. It's the choice yeah. has already been like decided. Yeah. So as we wrap up the podcast today, Jenna, uh, what is it with what, well, all that we've talked about, the military addiction, um, being a first responder spouse, what would you like to leave the inspired women audience with? Just to find a community and know, even if your spouse is getting, you know, retiring, getting out, that's a huge time of conflict for couples and another area that you're not prepared for because these service members will get out of the military, for example, and have no purpose anymore. Mm-hmm. And that can stir up a whole nother, you know, group of emotions and, and things like that. And so I, I would say to not disconnect yourself from your support system and also to seek out other women who have and are going through the same thing. And that's why I built my community, Service and Soul. It's a free community for women to just come together, be able to support each other and not have to explain. Like, I love that you are a military or were a military wife before. So I don't have to explain to you what it feels like. I can share yeah. my story because it is different, but I don't have to be like, 
Megan, I know, like, let me just try to explain what it's like. And (laughs) that's what the community is for, because I can talk to my sister, but she's not, not, and never has been a military spouse. So just being able to stay in community with women who do understand and that you can complain to if you need to, or celebrate with if you need to, and not have to explain yourself is so important. Yeah. I, that has, was really helpful during deployments. Now I had some drama with military spouses, but we don't have time to go into <laughs> that um, because it can happen. Um, but really? it was helpful to have a few people who did understand because you're right. It's experience that you can't understand until you're in it. You just, it, you just can't. Um, and so it's important. And there's a reason there's a high rate of divorce in the military because it's hard. Yeah really hard. Well, Jenna, thank you so much for coming on the podcast today and for sharing your story with us. Thank you for having me. It was great. Thank you for tuning in with us today. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave us a rating or review. Follow us on social media at Inspired Women Podcast, both on Facebook and Instagram. And don't forget to join our Facebook group, The Inspired Women Podcast.